Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. That's Paul's instruction and command for us today. And this command comes to us at the end of the letter he writes to the Philippians, a letter he writes to encourage people to remain steadfast in the Christian faith even as they live in the midst of a non-Christian community. They had challenges that they faced, that was for sure, because they lived in a place where most people didn't understand what they believed. They didn't understand their life. They lived in a community that didn't understand a devotion to Jesus. And yet this congregation in Philippi, it persevered. And it persevered with joy. What does it mean to have joy? More and more, I'm convinced that joy is a distinctly Christian word. What I mean by that is that a life filled with joy is one that can only be achieved by those who live according to the Christian faith. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that non-Christians can't be happy. They are. Plenty are. But happiness is not the same thing as joy. Happiness is a fleeting emotional moment, a reaction to an outside stimulus that is bound to a point in time. You're happy because you did something fun. You're happy because you've received a Christmas card from someone you haven't heard from in a while. You experience happiness when things seem to be going well. But happiness is always the result of something outside of you, causing you to find pleasure in that moment. Joy, on the other hand, is something very different. Joy is an outlook on life that relies on a particular set of beliefs and worldviews that shape the way you see everything happening around you. Joy can include happiness. This means that a joyful person may experience happiness for the reasons I've already mentioned, but a happy person doesn't necessarily experience joy. That's why Paul gives the instruction he does. Rejoice. Don't be happy, but instead be joyful. And after he gives this command, he goes on to explain what a joyful life would look like. He tells us that a life marked by rejoicing is one that is reasonable. It's one that is without anxiety. It's a life filled with prayer. In doing these things, the Christian is able to make a confession to the outside world about what their faith is. They're able to confess to their brothers and sisters in Christ, to their neighbors in the world, and to God, the faith that they hold. So what does your neighbor see when they see you rejoicing? Well, according to Paul, first and foremost, your neighbor sees someone who is reasonable. Sometimes Bibles will translate this as gentleness. Either way, we can start to get the picture of the kind of joy that Paul is describing. If you are reasonable and gentle, you'll live as a good neighbor to all of those around you. Who doesn't want to work with or live next to a reasonable and gentle person? It's the kind of person that doesn't get bothered by too many things. They're able to work through difficulties and challenges in a way that don't demean or diminish or manipulate the people around them. Joyful people, reasonable people, gentle people, they're pleasant to be around. 
And often, they're also perceived as kind, trustworthy, reliable. And people will say they're simply a joy to be with. And going hand in hand with this, Paul says, the Christian who rejoices is also one who's not anxious about anything. That goes with being reasonable and gentle, too. It's about being calm no matter what's happening around you, not getting too worked up about the problems that present themselves, because you're confident that in the end, God has all things under his control. But there's something else that underlines these descriptions of a person who's rejoicing that Paul does not name, but is necessary for someone to be reasonable and without anxiety, and that is being content. A person who rejoices is a person who's content with what they have and the life they live. Because when you're content, you can be reasonable and you can be gentle because you never look at your neighbor out of envy or spite about what they have when you do not, but instead you look at them rejoicing in the ways that they have been blessed and are equipped to be a blessing to others. When we look at the ninth and 10th commandments, this is what God is trying to teach us when he tells us not to covet our neighbor's belongings or relationships. In those commandments, he tells us that we should fear and love God so that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's belongings, nor work in any way to entice away our neighbor's families, friends, or animals. Well, who would do such a thing in the first place? It is people who are not content with what they have that covet their neighbor's belongings. And if you're not content, you cannot rejoice. And if you cannot live a life of rejoicing, then it's also hard to be someone who's reasonable, gentle, or not anxious about what's going on around you. It is when you are not content with what God has given you that you change the way you see your neighbor. They stop being someone to love and serve and instead become someone that you can use to get the things you want as you live this life. If you're not content with what you have, You'll always be anxious about losing what you have. And you'll be given a life of fear that you will not receive more. Being content is the key to the rejoicing that Paul speaks of. Because rejoicing is ultimately a status of gratitude, a position of gratitude, in which you're able to find peace in the relationships you have with all those around you. But Paul doesn't end this there. He goes on to say that not only is the rejoicing Christian one who is, not, who is reasonable and not anxious, but he goes on to say that a life of rejoicing is a life marked by prayer. Let your requests be made known to God, Paul tells the Philippians. Prayer serves several functions for a rejoicing Christian. First, it deepens the relationship you have with your Heavenly Father. Because when you pray to Him, you learn to share your struggles with him that are happening in everyday life. As you do this, you also learn how to trust that God does care for his people. This goes with being content and rejoicing. For when you learn to trust God, the desire for what others have is lessened because you know with certainty that God is giving you exactly what you need to accomplish what he has prepared for you to do that day. That kind of contentment results in rejoicing. It's a life of gratitude focused on what God has done and continues to do to support, sustain, and care for you, his people. 
And then, after Paul has laid all of this out, about what it means to live a life of rejoicing, he speaks a very familiar phrase. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a familiar phrase because it's the way we end our sermons each week. Just as in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we speak these words at the end of a sermon in order to encourage the Christian to live a life of contentment, a life of gratitude, a life filled with joy. Because when you do this, you also find you live a life of peace. Now, for the Christians who live in Philippi, those who receive this letter from Paul, the picture of peace would have been very profound for them. The town of Philippi is a military community established about 42 years before the birth of Christ at the end of a major battle that led to the establishment of the peace of Rome, or the Pax Romana. What had happened is at the end of that battle, the Roman emperor decided that he wanted an outpost of very loyal subjects to be located in this part of his, his empire. So he decreed that all of the people who lived in that town would now be Roman citizens, and he gave away free land and housing to all of the veterans who were coming out of those military battles that established the peace of Rome. It was an honor to live in this town. And for the people who lived there, they had a life marked by peace, in the sense that it was a life marked by the absence of warfare. After all, who chooses to attack a town filled with Rome's greatest military veterans? That's a town you leave alone. So the people who lived there lived a life of comfort, a life not marked by the anxiety of invaders because they were protected by Rome and all that Rome had to offer. So Paul says to them, if that peace and that, num that gives you comfort, know this. The peace that comes from God, guarded in your hearts by Christ Jesus, is even greater than that. So when he tells them this, it is filled with significance and blessing. And the people of Philippi, they know exactly the kind of peace of which Paul promises. It's the peace of knowing that nothing can harm you. The peace that allows you to live life without worry, a life without anxiety, a life of gratitude to the one who provides what you have. It's a peace that was known and little, rarely known throughout history and found in very few places, even in the Roman world. But it was the kind of peace the Philippians had access to. Now Paul is promising them this. Rejoice because the peace that comes from your heavenly Father is even greater than that earthly peace. It's a peace that leads to contentment, a release from anxiety, a reasonableness to your neighbor, peace that only God can give because he has promised that he will protect and provide for his people. He has promised that he will guard you and keep you from the assaults of the evil one, keeping you in his care all the days of your life. So we hear what Paul says, and we give thanks for what God promises. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. In everything, 
by, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.